It was later that evening. They'd waited until it was dark before pulling the cornucopia out of the hole. It was a lot lighter than Tiffany had expected. In fact, it had an air about it of something very, very heavy, which for reasons of its own had become light just for a while. Now it was on the kitchen table, wiped clean of mud and cabbages. Tiffany thought it looked vaguely alive. It was warm to the touch and seemed to vibrate slightly under her fingers. According to Chaffinch, she said, with the mythology open on her lap, the god Blind Io created the cornucopia from a horn of the magical goat Almeg to feed his two children by the goddess Bisonomy, who was later turned into a shower of oysters by Epidity, the god of things shaped like potatoes, after insulting Resonata, goddess of weasels, by throwing a mole at her shadow. It is now the badge of office of the summer goddess. I always said there used to be far too much that sort of thing in the old days, said Granny Weatherwax. The witches stared at the thing. It did look a bit like a goat horn, but much larger. How does it work? said Nanny Og. She stuck her head inside it and shouted, Hello! Hellos came back, echoing for a long time, as if they'd gone much farther than you would expect them to. Looks like a great big seashell to me, was the opinion of Granny Weatherwax. The kitten, you, padded around the giant thing, sniffing daintily at it. Grebo was hiding behind the saucepans on the top shelf, Tiffany checked. I don't think anyone knows, she said, but the other name for it is the Horn of Plenty. A horn? Can you play a tune on it? asked Nanny. I don't think so, said Tiffany. It contains, um, things. What sort of things? said Granny Weatherwax. Well, technically, everything, said Tiffany. Everything that grows. She showed them the picture in the book. All sorts of fruits, vegetables and grain were spilling from the cornucopia's wide mouth. Mostly fruit, though, said Nanny. Not many carrots, but I suppose they're up in the pointy end. They'd fit better there. Typical artist, said Granny. He just painted the showy stuff in the front. Too proud to paint an honest potato. She poked at the page with an accusing finger. And what about these cherubs? We're not going to get them too, are we? I don't like to see little babies flying through the air. They turn up in a lot of old paintings, said Nanny Og. They put them in to show its art and not just naughty pictures of ladies with not many clothes on. Well, they're not fooling me, said Granny Weatherwax. Go on, Tiff, give it a go, said Nanny Og, walking around the table. I don't know how, said Tiffany. There aren't any instructions. And then, too late, Granny shouted, You, come out of there. But with a flick of her tail, the white kitten trotted inside. They banged on the horn. They held it upside down and shook it. They tried shouting down it. They put a saucer of milk in front of it and waited. The kitten didn't return. Then Nanny Og prodded gently inside the cornucopia with a mop, which, to no one's great surprise, went farther inside the cornucopia than there was cornucopia on the outside. She'll come out when she's hungry, she said reassuringly. Not if she finds something to eat in there, said Granny Weatherwax, peering into the dark. I shouldn't think she'll find cat food, said Tiffany, examining the picture closely. There may be milk, though. You! Come out of there this minute! Granny commanded, in a voice fit to shake mountains. There was a distant meep. Perhaps she's got stuck, said Nanny. I mean, it's like a spiral growing smaller at the end, right? Cats ain't very big at going backward. Tiffany saw the look on Granny's face and sighed. Feagles, she said to the room in general. I know there are some of you in this room. Come out, please. Feagles appeared from behind every ornament. Tiffany tapped the cornucopia. Can you get a little kitten out of here? she asked. Just that. I nee problemo, said Rob anybody. I was hoping it was going to be something difficult. The knack-mack feagles disappeared into the horn at a trot, 
their voices died away. The witches waited. They waited some more. And some more. Beagles? shouted Tiffany into the hole. She thought she heard a very distant, very faint, Crevens. If it can produce grain, they might have found beer in there, said Tiffany, and that means they'll only run out when the beer runs out too. Cats can't feed on beer, snapped Granny Weatherwax. Well, I'm fed up with waiting, said Nanny. Look, there's a little hole in the pointy end too. I'm going to blow into it. She tried to, at least. Her cheeks went big and red and her eyes bulged, and it was pretty clear that if the horn didn't blow, then she would, at which point the horn gave up. There was a distant and unmistakably curly rumbling noise which got louder and louder. Can't see anything yet, said Granny, looking into the wide mouth of the horn. Tiffany pulled her away, just as you galloped out of the cornucopia with her tail straight out and her ears flattened. She skidded across the table, leapt onto Granny Weatherwax's dress, scrambled onto her shoulder and turned and spat defiance. With a cry of, Crevens! Feagles poured out of the horn. Behind the sofa, everyone, yelled Nanny. Run! Now the rumble was like thunder. It grew and grew and then stopped. In the silence, three pointy hats rose from behind the sofa. Small blue faces rose from behind everything. Then there was a noise very similar to Pratt, and something small and wizened rolled out of the mouth of the horn and dropped onto the floor. It was a very dried-up pineapple. Granny Weatherwax brushed some dust off her dress. You'd better learn to use this, she said to Tiffany. How? Don't you have any idea? No. Well, it's turned up for you, madam, and it's dangerous. Tiffany gingerly picked up the cornucopia, and again there was that definite feeling of some hugely heavy thing pretending very successfully to be light. Maybe it needs some magic word, suggested Nanny Og, or there's somewhere special that you press. As Tiffany turned it in the light, something gleamed for a moment. Hold on, these look like words, she said. She read, Panda pu epithemis capizo io ena onoma. All that you desire, I give upon a name, murmured the memory of Dr. Bustle. The next line said, Megalono, sistilome. I grow, I shrink, Dr. Bustle translated. I think I might have an idea, she said. And in memory of Miss Treason, she declared, Ham sandwich. Nothing happened. Then Dr. Bustle lazily translated, and Tiffany said, En a sandwich to Zambon me mustada. With a floap, a ham sandwich sailed out of the mouth of the cornucopia and was expertly caught by Nanny, who bit into it. Not bad at all, she announced. Try a few more. Those mu pola sandwich ton Zambon, said Tiffany, and there was the kind of sound you get when you disturb a cave full of bats. Stop, she yelled, but nothing stopped. Then Dr. Bustle whispered, and she shouted, Mean pirisotero sandwich ton zambon. There were a lot of sandwiches. The pile reached the ceiling, in fact. Only the tip of Nanny Og's hat was visible, but there were some muffled noises farther down the heap. An arm thrust out, and Nanny Og forced her way through the wall of bread and sliced pig, chewing thoughtfully. No mustard, I notice. Hmm. Well, we can see that everyone around here has a good supper tonight, she said, and I can see I'm going to have to make an awful lot of soup, too. Best not to try it again in here, though, all right? I don't like it at all, snapped Granny Weatherwax. Where does all that stuff come from, eh? Magic food never fed anyone properly. It's not magic, it's a god thing. 
said Nanny Og. Like manners from heaven, that sort of stuff. I expect it's made out of raw firmament. In fact, it's merely a living metaphor for the boundless fecundity of the natural world, whispered Dr. Bustle in Tiffany's head. You don't get manners from heaven, said Granny. Oh, this was in foreign parts a long time ago, said Nanny, turning to Tiffany. If I was you, dear, I'd take it into the woods tomorrow and see what it can do. Although, if you don't mind, I could really do with some fresh grapes right now. Geetha, Og, you can't use the cornucopia of the gods as a larder, said Granny. The feet business was bad enough. But it is one, said Nanny Og innocently. It's the larder. It's like everything waiting to grow next spring. Tiffany put it down very carefully. There was something alive about the cornucopia. She wasn't at all sure that it was just some magical tool. It seemed to be listening. As it touched the tabletop, it began to shrink until it was the size of a small vase. Excuse me, said Rob anybody, but does it do beer? Beer, said Tiffany without thinking. There was a trickling noise. All eyes turned to look at the vase. Brown liquid was foaming over the lip. Then all eyes turned to Granny Weatherwax, who shrugged. Don't look at me, she said sourly. You're going to drink it anyway. It is alive, Tiffany thought, as Nanny Og hurried off to find some more mugs. It learns. It's learned my language. Around midnight, Tiffany woke up because a white chicken was standing on her chest. She pushed it off and reached down for her slippers and found only chickens. When she got the candle alight, she saw half a dozen chickens on the end of the bed. The floor was covered in chickens. So were the stairs. So was every room down below. In the kitchen, chickens had overflowed into the sink. They weren't making much noise, just the occasional work a chicken makes when it's a bit uncertain about things, which is more or less all the time. The chickens were shuffling along patiently to make room work. They were doing this because the cornucopia, now grown just a bit bigger than the full-grown chicken, was gently firing out a chicken every eight seconds. Work. As Tiffany watched, another one landed on the mountain of ham sandwiches. Work. Marooned on top of the cornucopia was you, looking very puzzled. Work. And in the middle of the floor, Granny Weatherwax snored gently in the big armchair, surrounded by fascinated hens. Work. Apart from the snoring, the chorus of works, and the rustling of shuffling chickens, it was all very peaceful in the candlelight. Work. Tiffany glared at the kitten. She rubbed up against things when she wanted to be fed, didn't she? Work. And made meep noises? Work. And the cornucopia could work out languages, couldn't it? Work. Now she whispered, No more chickens. And after a few seconds the flow of chickens ceased. Work. But she couldn't really leave it like that. She shook Granny by the shoulder, and as the old woman awoke, she said, The good news is, a lot of the ham sandwiches have gone. Uh work. Chapter 9. Green Shoots It was much colder the next morning, a numb, dull coldness that could practically freeze the flames on the fire. 
Tiffany let the broomstick settle between the trees a little way from Naniog's cottage. The snow hadn't drifted much here, but it came up to her knees, and cold had put a crispness on it that crackled like a stale loaf when Tiffany trod it. In theory, she was out in the woods to get the hang of the cornucopia, but really she was there to keep it out of the way. Naniog hadn't been too upset about the chickens. After all, she now owned five hundred hens, which were currently standing around in her shed going work. But the floors were a mess. There were chicken doodars even on the banisters, and as Granny had pointed out, in a whisper, supposing someone had said, Sharks. The cornucopia lay on her lap while she sat on a stump among the snow-covered trees. Once the forest had been pretty. Now it was hateful. Dark chunks against snowdrifts, a striped world of black and white, bars against the light. She longed for horizons. Funny. The cornucopia was always very slightly warm, even out here, and seemed to know in advance what size it ought to be. I grow, I shrink, thought Tiffany, and I'm feeling pretty small. What next? What now? She kept hoping that the, the power would drop on her, just like the cornucopia had done. It hadn't. There was life under the snow. She felt it in her fingertips. Somewhere down there, out of reach, was the real summer. Using the cornucopia as a scoop, she scraped away at the snow until she reached dead leaves. There was life down there in the white webs of fungi and pale new roots. A half-frozen worm crawled slowly away and burrowed under a leaf skeleton, fine as lace. Beside it was an acorn. The woods weren't silent. They were holding their breath. They were all waiting for her, and she didn't know what to do. I'm not the summer lady, she told herself. I can never be her. I'm in her shoes, but I can never be her. I might be able to make a few flowers grow, but I can never be her. She'll walk across the world, and oceans of sap will rise in these dead trees, and a million tons of grass will grow in a second. Can I do that? No. I'm a stupid child with a handful of tricks, that's all. I'm just... Tiffany aching, and I'm aching to go home. Feeling guilty about the worm, she breathed some warm air on the soil and then pushed the leaves back to cover it. As she did so, there was a wet little sound, like the snapping of a frog's fingers, and the acorn split. A white shoot escaped from it and grew more than half an inch as she watched it. Hurriedly, she made a hole in the mould with her fingers, pushed the acorn in, and patted the soil back again. Someone was watching her. She stood up and turned around quickly. There was no one to be seen, but that didn't mean a thing. I know you're there, she said, still turning around, whoever you are. Her voice echoed among the black trees. Even to her it sounded thin and scared. She found herself raising the cornucopia. Show yourself, she quavered, or... What, she wondered, I'll fill you full of fruit? Some snow fell off a tree with a thump, making her jump and then feel even more foolish. Now she was flinching at the fall of a handful of snowflakes. A witch ought never to be frightened in the darkest forest, Granny Weatherwax had once told her, because she should be sure in her soul that the most terrifying thing in the forest was her. She raised the cornucopia and said, half-heartedly, Strawberry. Something shot out of the cornucopia with a thut and made a red stain on a tree twenty feet away. Tiffany didn't bother to check. It always delivered what you asked for which was more than she could say for herself. And on top of everything else, it was her day to visit Anagramma. Tiffany sighed deeply. She'd probably get that wrong too. Slowly, 
astride her broomstick, she disappeared among the trees. After a minute or two, a green shoot thrust up from the patch of soil that she had breathed on, grew to a height of about six inches, and put out two green leaves. Footsteps approached. They were not as crunchy as footsteps on frozen snow usually are. There was a crunch now, though, of someone kneeling on the frosted leaves. A pair of skinny but powerful hands gently dragged and sculpted the snow and leaves together to make a tall, thin wall around the chute, enclosing it and protecting it from the wind like a soldier in a castle. A small white kitten tried to nuzzle at it and was carefully lifted out of the way. Then Granny Weatherwax walked back into the woods, leaving no footprints. You never teach anyone else everything you know. Days went by. Anagramma learned, but it was a struggle. It was hard to teach someone who wouldn't admit that there was anything she didn't know. So there were conversations like this. You know how to prepare placebo root, do you? Of course, everyone knows that. And this was not the time to say, OK, then, show me, because she'd mess around for a while and then say she had a headache. This was the time to say, Good, watch me to see if I'm doing it right, and then do it perfectly. And you'd add things like, as you know, Granny Weatherwax says that practically anything works instead of placebo root, but it's best to use the real thing if you can get it. If prepared in syrup, it's an amazing remedy for minor illnesses, but of course, you already know this. And Anagramma would say, of course. A week later, in the forests, it was so cold some older trees exploded in the night. They hadn't seen that for a long time, the older people said. It happened when the sap froze, then tried to expand. Anagramma was as vain as a canary in a room full of mirrors and panicked instantly when faced with anything she didn't know. She was sharp at picking things up and very good at appearing to know more than she really did, which is a valuable talent for a witch. Once, Tiffany noticed the boffo catalogue open on the table with some things circled. She asked no questions. She was too busy. A week after that, Wells froze. Tiffany went around the villages with Anagramma a few times and knew that she would make it eventually. She'd got built-in boffo. She was tall and arrogant and acted as if she knew everything even when she didn't have a clue. That would get her a long way. People listened to her. They needed to. There were no roads open now. Between cottages, people had cut tunnels full of cold blue light. Anything that needed to be moved was moved by broomstick. That included old people. They were lifted, bedclothes, walking sticks and all, and moved into other houses. People packed together stayed warmer, and could pass the time by reminding one another that, however cold this was, it wasn't as cold as the cold you got when they were young. After a while they stopped saying that. Sometimes it would thaw, just a little, and then freeze again. That fringed every roof with icicles. At the next thaw they stabbed the ground like daggers. Tiffany didn't sleep. At least, she didn't go to bed. None of the witches did. The snow got trampled down into ice that was like rock, so a few carts could be moved about. But there still weren't enough witches to go around, or enough hours in the day. There weren't enough hours in the day, and the night put together. Petulia had fallen asleep on her stick, and ended up in a tree two miles away. Tiffany slid off once and landed in a snowdrift. Wolves entered the tunnels. They were weak with hunger and desperate. Granny Weatherwax put a stop to them and never told anyone how she'd done it. The cold was like being punched over and over again, day and night. All over the snow were little dark dots that were dead birds frozen out of the air. Other birds had found the tunnels and filled them with twittering. 
and people fed them scraps because they brought a false hope of spring to the world. Because there was food. Oh, yes, there was food. The cornucopia ran day and night. And Tiffany thought I should have said no to snowflakes. There was a shack, old and abandoned, and there was, in the rotted planks, a nail. If the wintersmith had had fingers, they would have been shaking. This was the last thing. There had been so much to learn. It had been so hard, so hard. Who would have thought a man was made of stuff like chalk and soot and gases and poisons and metals? But now ice formed under the rusty nail, and the wood groaned and squeaked as the ice grew and forced it out. It spun gently in the air, and the voice of the wintersmith could be heard in the wind that froze the treetops. Iron enough to make a man. High up in the mountains the snow exploded. It mounded up into the air as if dolphins were playing under it, shapes forming and disappearing. Then, as suddenly as it had risen, the snow settled again. But now there was a horse there, white as snow, and on its back a rider glittering with frost. If the greatest sculptor the world had ever known had been told to build a snowman, this is what it would have looked like. Something was still going on. The shape of the horse and man still crawled with movement as they grew more and more lifelike. Details settled. Colours crept in, always pale, never bright. And there was a horse, and there was a rider, shining in the comfortless light of the midwinter sun. The wintersmith extended a hand and flexed his fingers. Colour is, after all, merely a matter of reflection. The fingers took on the colour of flesh. The wintersmith spoke. That is, there were a variety of noises, from the roar of a gale to the rattle of the sucking of the surf on a pebbled shore after a wrecking storm at sea. Somewhere among them all was a tone that seemed right. He repeated it, stretched it, stirred it around and turned it into speech, playing with it until it sounded right. He said, Ah, 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 it is to speak. The wintersmith threw back his head and sang the overture to Überwald Winter by the composer Votua Duinov. He'd overheard it once when driving a roaring gale around the rooftops of an opera house and had been astonished to find that a human being, nothing more really than a bag of dirty water on legs, could have such a wonderful understanding of snow. Snorva! Puchlodolo! he sang to the freezing sky. The only slight error the wintersmith made as his horse trotted through the pine trees was in singing the instruments as well as the voices. He sang, in fact, the whole thing, and rode like a travelling orchestra, making the sounds of the singers, the drums, and the rest of the orchestra all at once. To smell the trees, to feel the pull of the ground, to be solid, to feel the darkness behind your eyes and know it was you, to be, and know yourself to be, a man. He had never felt like this before. It was exhilarating. There was so much of, of everything coming at him from every direction. The thing with the ground, for example. It tugged all the time. Standing upright took a lot of thinking about. And the birds. The wintersmith had always seen them as nothing more than impurities in the air, interfering with the flow of the weather. But now they were living things just like him. And they played with the tug of the wind and owned the sky. The wintersmith had never seen before, never felt before, never heard before. 
You could not do those things unless you were, apart, in the dark, behind the eyes. Before he hadn't been apart. He'd been apart, a part of the whole universe of tug and pressure, sound and light, flowing, dancing. He'd run storms against mountains forever, but he'd never known what a mountain was until today. The dark behind the eyes, what a precious thing. It gave you your... Eunice, your hand, with those laughably waggly things on it, gave you touch. The holes on either side of your head let in sound. The holes at the front let in the wonderful smell. How clever of holes to know what to do. It was amazing. When you were an elemental, everything happened altogether, inside and outside, in one big thing. Thing. That was a useful word. Thing. Thing was anything the wintersmith couldn't describe. Everything was things, and they were exciting. It was good to be a man. Oh, he was mostly made of dirty ice, but that was just better organised dirty water after all. Yes, he was human. It was so easy. It was just a matter of organising things. He had senses. He could move among humans. He could search. That was how to search for humans. You became one. It was so hard to do it as an elemental. It was hard even to recognise a human in the churning thingness of the physical world. But a human could talk to other humans with the holes for the sound. He could talk to them, and they would not suspect. And now that he was human, there would be no going back. King Winter. All he needed was a queen. Tiffany woke up because someone was shaking her. Tiffany? She'd gone to sleep in Nanny Og's cottage with her head against the cornucopia. From somewhere close there was a strange piff noise, like a dry drip. Pale blue snow light filled the room. As she opened her eyes, Granny Weatherwax was gently pushing her back into her chair. "'You've been sleeping since nine o'clock, my girl,' she said. "'Time to go home, I think.' Tiffany looked around. "'I am here, aren't I?' she said, feeling dizzy. "'No. This is Nanny Og's house, and this is a bowl of soup.' Tiffany woke up. There was a blurry bowl of soup in front of her. It looked familiar. "'When did you last sleep in a bed?' said a wavering, shadowy figure. Tiffany yawned. "'What day is this?' "'Tuesday,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'Hmm. What's a Tuesday?' Tiffany woke up for the third time and was grabbed and pulled upright. "'There,' said the voice of Granny Weatherwax. "'This time stay awake. Drink soup. Get warm. You need to go home.' This time Tiffany's stomach took control of a hand and a spoon, and by degrees Tiffany warmed up. Granny Weatherwax sat opposite, the kitten you on her lap, watching Tiffany until the soup was gone. I expected too much from you, she said. I'd hoped that as the days grew longer you'd find more power. That ain't no fault of yours. The piff noises were getting more frequent. Tiffany looked down and saw barley dripping out of the cornucopia. The number of grains increased even as she watched. You set it on barley before you fell asleep, said Granny. It slows right down when you're tired. Just as well, really. Otherwise we'd have been eaten alive by chickens. It's about the only thing I've got right, said Tiffany. Well, I don't know. Anagramma Hawkins seems to be showing promise. Lucky in her friends, from what I hears. If Miss Treason had tried to play poker against Granny Weatherwax's face, she would have lost. The patter of the new grains suddenly became much louder in the silence. Look, I... Tiffany began. Granny sniffed. I'm sure no one has to explain themselves to me, she said virtuously. Will you promise me that you'll go home? A couple of coaches got through this morning, 
and I hear it's not too bad yet down on the plains. You go back to your chalk country. You're the only witch they've got. Tiffany sighed. She did want to go home more than anything, but it would be like running away. It might be like running too, said Granny, picking up her old habit of replying to something that hadn't actually been said. I'll go tomorrow then, said Tiffany. Good. Granny stood up. Come with me. I want to show you something. Tiffany followed her through a snow tunnel that came out near the edge of the forest. The snow had been packed down here by people dragging firewood home, and once you got a little way from the edge of the forest, the drifts weren't too bad. A lot of snow hung in the trees, filling the air with cold blue shadows. What are we looking for? asked Tiffany. Granny Weatherwax pointed. There was a splash of green in the white and grey. It was young leaves on an oak sapling a couple of feet high. When Tiffany crunched her way through the snow crust and reached out to touch it, the air felt warm. Do you know how you managed that? asked Granny. No, me neither. I couldn't do it. You did, girl. Tiffany aching. It's just one tree, said Tiffany. Ah, well, you have to start small with oak trees. They stared in silence at the tree for a few moments. The green seemed to reflect off the snow around it. Winter stole colour, but the tree glowed. And now we've all got things to do, said Granny, breaking the spell. You, I believe, would normally be heading for Miss Treason's old place about now. I'd expect no less of you. There was a coaching inn. It was busy even at this time in the morning. The fast mail coach had made a quick stop for fresh horses after the long haul into the mountains, and another one, bound for down on the plains, was waiting for the passengers. The breath of horses filled the air with steam. Drivers stamped their feet. Sacks and packages were being loaded. Men bustled around with nose bags. Some bandy-legged men just hung around, smoking and gossiping. In fifteen minutes, the inn's yard would be empty again, but for now everyone was too busy to pay much attention to one more stranger. Afterward, they all told different stories, contradicting one another at the tops of their voices. Probably the most accurate account came from Miss Dymphnia Stoot, the innkeeper's daughter, who was helping her father serve breakfast. Well, he like, like came in, and right there I could see he was odd. He walked funny, you know, lifting his legs like a trotting horse does. Also, he was kind of like shiny, but we get all sorts here, and it does not pay to make personal remarks. We had a bunch of werewolves in here last week, and they were just like you and me, except we had to put their place on the floor. All right, yes, this man. Well, he sat down at a table and said, I am a human just like you. He came out with it just like that. Of course, no one else paid attention, but I told him I was glad to hear it, and what did he want to eat, because the sausages was particular fine this morning, and he said he could only eat cold food, which was funny, because everyone was grumbling about how cold it was in the room now, and it's not like there wasn't a big fire burning. Anyway, actually, we did have some cold sausage left in the pantry, and they were a bit on the turn, if you know what I mean, so I gave them to him, and he chewed one for a bit, and then he says, with his mouth full, if you please, this is not what I expected. What do I do now? And I said, you swallow. And he said, swallow. And I said, yes, you swallow it down into your stomach, right? And he said, spraying bits of sausage all over the place. Oh, a hollow bit. And sort of like wavers. And then he says, ah, I am a human. I have successfully eaten human sausages. And I said, there was no need to be like that. They were made of mostly pig, same as always. Then he says, what is he supposed to do with them now? And I says, it's not my place to tell him, and that will be two pennies, please. And he puts down a gold coin, so I curtsy because, well, you never know. Then he says, I am a human, just like you. Where are the pointy humans who fly through the sky? 
which was a funny way of putting it to my mind, but I told him if it was witches he wanted, there was plenty of them over the Lanker Bridge, and he said, Name of treason? And I said, I heard she was dead, but with witches who can say? And off he went. All the time he had this, like, smile, all shiny and a bit worrying. Something wrong with his clothes, too, like they were stuck to him or something. But you can't be too choosy in this business. We had some trolls in here yesterday. They can't eat our food, you know, being kind of like walking rocks. But we gave them a slap-up meal of broken cups and grease. But he was a rumman. The place got a lot warmer after he left, too. Expect no less of you. The words kept Tiffany warm as she flew over the trees. The fire in her head burned with pride, but contained one or two big crackly logs of anger. Granny had known. Had she planned it? Because it looked good, didn't it? All the witches would know. Mrs. Earwig's pupil couldn't cope, but Tiffany Aching organised all the other girls to help out and didn't tell anyone. Of course, among witches, not telling anyone was a sure way of getting things found out. Witches were very good at listening to what you weren't saying. So Anagramma held on to her cottage, and Mrs. Earwig was embarrassed and Granny would be smug. All that work and rushing around to let Granny feel smug. Well, and for Mrs. Stumper's pig, and everyone else, of course. That made it complicated. If you could, you did what needed to be done. Poking your nose in was basic witchcraft. She knew it. Granny knew she knew it. So Tiffany had scurried around like a little clockwork mouse. There would be a reckoning. The clearing was full of snow in great icy drifts, but a path had been worn to the cottage, she was pleased to see. There was something new. There were people standing by Miss Treason's grave, and some of the snow had been scraped off. Oh, no, Tiffany thought as she circled down. Please say she hasn't gone looking for the skulls. It turned out to be, in some ways, worse. She recognised the people around the grave. They were villagers, and they gave Tiffany the defiant, worried stares of people scared half to death by the small but possibly angry pointy hat in front of them. And there was something about the very deliberate way they weren't looking at the mound that instantly drew her attention to it. It was covered in little torn scraps of paper, pinned down with sticks. They fluttered in the wind. She snatched up a couple. Miss Treason, please keep my boy Joe save at sea. Miss Treason, I'm going bald, please help. Miss Treason, please find our girl Becky what run away, I'm sorry. There were more and, just as she was about to speak sharply to the villagers for still bothering Miss Treason, she remembered the packets of jolly sailor tobacco that the shepherds, even now, left on the turf where the old shepherding hut had been. They didn't write their petitions down, but they were there all the same, floating in the air. Granny Aching, who herds the clouds in the blue sky, please watch my sheep. Granny Aching, cure my son. Granny Aching, find my lambs. They were the prayers of small people, too afraid to bother the gods in their high places. They trusted in what they knew. They weren't right or wrong. They were just hopeful. Well, Miss Treason, she thought, you're a myth now, as sure as anything. You might even make it to goddess. It's not much fun, I can tell you. And has Becky been found, she said, turning to the people. A man avoided her gaze as he said, I reckon Miss Treason'll understand why the girl won't be wanting to come home any time soon. Oh, thought Tiffany, one of those reasons. Any news of the boy, then, she said. Ah, that one worked, said the woman. 
His mum got a letter yesterday saying he'd been in a dreadful shipwreck but was picked up alive, which only goes to show. Tiffany didn't ask what it was that it went to show. It was enough that it had gone to show it. Well, that's good, she said. But lots of poor seamen got drowned, the woman went on. They hit an iceberg in the fog, a big floating mountain of ice shaped like a woman, they said. What do you think of that? I expect if they'd been at sea long enough, anything would look like a woman, eh? said the man, and chuckled. The women gave him a look. He didn't say who she, if she looked like, you know, anyone, said Tiffany, trying to sound nonchalant. Depends where they were looking, the man began cheerfully. You ought to wash your brain out with soap and water, said the woman, prodding him sharply in the chest. Uh, no, miss, he said, looking down at his feet. He just said her head was all covered with seagull poo, miss. This time, Tiffany tried not to sound relieved. She looked down at the fluttering bits of paper on the grave and back to the woman, who was trying to hide what might be a fresh request behind her back. Do you believe in this stuff, Mrs. Carter? The woman suddenly looked flustered. Oh, no, miss, of course not, it, but it's just that, well, you, you know. It makes you feel better, thought Tiffany. It's something you can do when there's nothing more to be done. And who knows, it might work. Yes, I know it's... Her hand itched, and now she realised that it had been itching for a while. Oh, yes, she said under her breath. You dare? Are you all right, miss? said the man. Tiffany ignored him. A rider was approaching, and snow followed after him, spreading and widening behind him like a cloak, soundless as a wish, thick as fog. Without taking her eyes off him, Tiffany reached into her pocket and gripped the tiny cornucopia. Ha! She walked forward. The wintersmith dismounted from his snow-white horse when it had drawn level with the old cottage. Tiffany stopped about twenty feet away, her heart pounding. My lady, said the wintersmith, and bowed. He looked better and older. I warn you, I've got a cornucopia and I'm not afraid to use it, said Tiffany. But she hesitated. He did look almost human, except for that fixed, strange grin. How did you find me, she said. For you I have learned, said the figure. I learned how to search. I am human. Really? But his mouth doesn't look right, said her third thoughts. It's pale inside, like snow. That's not a boy there. It just thinks it is. One big pumpkin, her second thoughts urged. They get really hard at this time of year. Shoot him now. Tiffany herself, the one on the outside, the one who could feel the air on her face, thought, I can't just do that. All he's doing is standing there talking. All this is my fault. He wants never-ending winter, said her third thoughts. Everyone you know will die. She was sure the eyes of the wintersmith could see right into her mind. The summer kills the winter, the third thoughts insisted. That's how it works. But not like this, Tiffany thought. I know it's not supposed to be like this. It feels wrong. It's not the right story. The king of the winter can't be killed by a flying pumpkin. The wintersmith was watching her carefully. Thousands of Tiffany-shaped flakes were falling around him. We will finish the dance now, he said. I am human, just like you. He held out a hand. Do you know what human is, said Tiffany. Yes, easy. Iron enough to make a nail, said the wintersmith promptly. He beamed, as if he'd done a trick successfully. And now, please, we dance. He took a step forward. Tiffany backed away. If you dance now, 
her third thoughts warned, that will be the end of it. You'll be believing in yourself and trusting in your star, and big twinkly things thousands of miles up in the sky don't care if they twinkle on everlasting snow. I'm not ready, Tiffany said hardly above a whisper. But time is passing, said the wintersmith. I am human, I know these things. Are you not a goddess in human form? The eyes bored into her. No, I'm not, she thought. I'll always be just Tiffany aching. The wintersmith drew closer, his hand still outstretched. Time to dance, lady. Time to finish the dance. Thoughts leaked out away from Tiffany's grasp. The eyes of the wintersmith filled her mind with nothing but whiteness, like a field of pure snow. Aye! The door of old Miss Treason's cottage flew open, and something came out, staggering through the snow. It was a witch. You could not mistake it. She, it, was probably a she, but some things are so horrible that worrying about how to address a letter to them is silly. Had a hat with a point that curled like a snake. It was on top of dripping strands of mad, greasy hair, which were perched on a nightmare of a face. It was green, like the hands that waved black fingernails that were really terrible claws. Tiffany stared. The wintersmith stared. The people stared. As the horrible, screaming, lurching thing drew nearer, the details got clearer, like the brown, rotting teeth and the warts. Lots of warts. Even the warts on the warts had warts. Anagramma had sent off for everything. Part of Tiffany wanted to laugh, even now, but the wintersmith snatched at her hand, and the witch grabbed his shoulder. Don't you take hold of her like that! How dare you! I'm a witch, you know! Anagramma's voice wasn't easy on the ear at the best of times, but when she was frightened or angry, it had a whine that bored right into the head. Let go of her, I say, screamed Anagramma. The wintersmith looked stunned. Having to listen to Anagramma in a rage was hard for someone who hadn't had ears for very long. Let her go, she yelled. Then she threw a fireball. She missed. Possibly she meant to. A ball of flaming gas whizzing nearby usually makes most people stop what they're doing, but most people don't melt. The wintersmith's leg dropped off. Later, on the journey through the blizzard, Tiffany wondered how the wintersmith worked. He was made of snow, but he could make it walk and talk. That must mean he had to think about it all the time. He had to. Humans didn't have to think about their bodies all the time because their bodies knew what to do, but Snow doesn't even know how to stand up straight. Anagramma was glaring at him as if he'd done something really annoying. He looked around as if puzzled, cracks appearing across his chest, and then he was just crumbling snow, collapsing into glittery crystals. The snow began to pour down now, as if the clouds were being squeezed. Anagramma pulled the mask to one side and stared first at the heap and then at Tiffany. All right, she said. What just happened? Was he supposed to do that? I was coming to see you and... That's the wintersmith, was all that Tiffany could manage at that point. You mean, like the wintersmith, said Anagramma. Isn't he just a story? What is he after you for? She added accusingly. It's... he... I... Tiffany began, but there was nowhere to start. He's real. I've got to get away from him, she said. I've got to get away. It takes too long to explain. For a horrible moment she thought Anagramma was still going to demand the whole story, but she reached out and grabbed Tiffany's hand with a black rubber claw. Then get out of here right now. 
Oh, no, you've still got Miss Treason's old broom. Totally useless. Use mine. She dragged Tiffany toward the cottage as the snowflakes thickened. Iron enough to make a nail, said Tiffany, trying to keep up. She couldn't think of anything else to say, and it was suddenly very important. He thought he was human. I've only knocked over his snowman, you fool. He'll be back. Yes, but iron enough, you see, to... A green hand slapped her face. But this hurt less than it might because of the rubber. Don't babble. I thought you were clever. I really don't know what this is about, but if I had that thing after me, I wouldn't stand around babbling. Anagramma pulled across the Wicked Witch deluxe mask with free dangling booger, adjusted the hang of the booger, and turned to the villagers, who'd been rooted to the spot all this time. What are you all staring at? Haven't you ever seen a witch before? she shouted. Go back home. Oh, and I'll be down tomorrow with some physic for your little boy, Mrs. Carter. They stared at the green face, the rotted teeth, the stinking hair, and the huge booger, made, in fact, of glass, and fled. Still drunk with terror and relief, Tiffany rocked gently, muttering, iron enough to make a nail, until Anagramma shook her. The thick flakes were dropping so fast that it was hard to see her face. Tiffany, broomstick, broomstick, fly, said Anagramma. Fly a long way. Do you hear me? Somewhere safe. But he... The poor thing thinks that... Yes, yes, I'm sure it's all very important, said Anagramma, dragging her toward the cottage wall where her broomstick leaned. She half pushed, half lifted Tiffany onto it and looked up. Snow was pouring out of the sky like a waterfall now. He's coming back, she snapped, and said a few words under her breath. The broomstick shot straight up and disappeared into the fading snow-filled light. Chapter 10 Going Home Granny Weatherwax looked up from the saucer of ink, in which a tiny Tiffany was disappearing into the whiteness of the blizzard. She was smiling, but with Granny Weatherwax this did not necessarily mean that something nice was happening. We could have taken him to Nisi, said Rob anybody reproachfully. You should have let us. Perhaps. Or perhaps he'd have frozen you solid, said Granny. Besides, there is a bigger task ahead of the Knack-Mackfeagles. Your big wee hag needs you to do two things. One of them is hard. The other one is very hard. The Feagles cheered up when they heard this. They were everywhere in Mrs. Og's kitchen. Some were perched on Nanny Og herself, and Miss Tick looked very uncomfortable surrounded by them. Unlike Miss Tick, Feagles rarely had an opportunity for a bath. Firstly, said Granny, she will need you to go into the underworld to fetch the summer lady. The significant pause did not seem to bother the Feagles at all. Oh, aye, we can do that, said Rob anybody. We can get into anywhere, and that's the very hard bit, is it? And out again, said Granny. Oh, aye, said Rob firmly. Mostly we get thrown out. The very hard part, said Granny, will be finding a hero. That's no hard, said Rob. We're our heroes here. A cheer went up. Really, said Granny, are you frightened to go into the underworld, Rob anybody? Me? No. Rob anybody looked around at his brothers and grinned hugely. Spell the word marmalade, then. Granny Weatherwax pushed a pencil across Nanny Og's table and sat back in her chair. Go on, right now and no one is to help you. Rob backed away. Granny Weatherwax was the hag of all hags, he knew that. There was no telling what she might do to an errant feagle. He picked up the pencil nervously, 
and placed the pointy end against the wood of the table. Other feagles clustered around, but under Granny's frown no one dared to even cheer him on. Rob stared upward, his lips moving and sweat beading his forehead. Mmm, he said. One, said Granny. Rob blinked. Hey, who's counting? he protested. Me, said Granny. The kitten, you, leapt onto her lap and curled up. Griffins, you never said there was going to be counting. Didn't I? The rules can change at any time. Two. Rob scribbled a passable M, hesitated, and then drew an R, just as Granny said, Three. There's gonna have to be an A in there, Rob, said Billy Bigchin. He looked up defiantly at Granny and added, I heard tell the rules can change at any time, right? Certainly. Five. Rob scratched in an A and added another M in a burst of creativity. Six and a half, said Granny, calmly stroking the kitten. What? Ach, Griffins, muttered Rob, and wiped a sweaty hand on his kilt. Then he gripped the pencil again and drew an L. It had a rather wavy foot because the pencil skidded out of his hands and the point broke. He growled and drew his sword. Eight, said Granny. Wood shavings flew as Rob hacked a rather ragged, fresh point out of the pencil. Nine. An A and a D were scribbled by a Rob, whose eyes were now bulging and whose cheeks were red. Ten. Rob stood to attention, looking mostly nervous but slightly proud. Besides, M-R-A-M-L-A-D. The feagles cheered, and those nearest to him fanned him with their kilts. Eleven. What? Crivens! Rob scurried back to the end of the word and plonked down a small E. Twelve. You can count all you want, mistress, said Rob, flinging down the pencil, but that's all the marmalade there is. This got another cheer. An heroic effort, Mr. Anybody, said Granny. The first thing a hero must conquer is his fear. When it comes to fighting, the knack-mack feagles don't know the meaning of the word. Aye, true enough, Rob grunted. We dinna ken the meaning of thousands of words. Can you fight a dragon? Oh, aye, bring it on. He was still angry about the marmalade. Run up a high mountain? Nay problemo. Read a book to the very end to save your big wee hag? Oh, aye, Rob stopped. He looked cornered. He licked his lips. How many of them pagey things would that be? he said hoarsely. Hundreds, said Granny. With words on both sides. Yes, indeed. In quite small writing. Rob crouched. He always did that when he was cornered, the better to come up fighting. The mass of feagles held their breath. I'll do it, he announced grimly, clenching his fists. Good, said Granny. Of course you would. That would be heroic for you. But someone must go into the underworld to find the real summer lady. That is a story. It has happened before. It works. And he must do it in fear and terror like a real hero should, because a lot of the monsters he must overcome are the ones in his head, the ones he brings in with him. It's time for spring, and winter and its snow is still with us, so you must find him now. You've got to find him and set his feet on the path, the path that goes down, Rob, anybody. Aye, we can that path, said Rob. His name is Roland, said Granny. I reckon you should leave as soon as it is light. The broomstick barrelled through the black blizzard. Sticks usually went where the witches wanted them to go, and Tiffany lay along the broom, tried not to freeze to death, 
and hoped it was taking her home. She couldn't see anything except darkness and rushing snow that stung her eyes, so she lay with the hat pulled down to streamline the stick. Even so, snowflakes struck her like stones and piled up on the stick. She had to flail around every few minutes to stop things from icing up. She did hear the roar of the falls below and felt the sudden depth of air as the stick glided out over the plains and began to sink. She felt cold to the bone. She couldn't fight the wintersmith, not like Anagramma could. Oh, she could plan to do it and go to bed determined, but when she saw him... Iron enough to make a nail. The words hung around in her head as the stick flew on and she remembered the old rhyme she'd heard years ago when the wandering teachers came to the village. Everyone seemed to know it. Iron enough to make a nail, lime enough to paint a wall, water enough to drown a dog, sulphur enough to stop the fleas, poison enough to kill a cow, potash enough to wash a shirt, gold enough to buy a bean, silver enough to coat a pin, lead enough to ballast a bird, phosphor enough to light the town, and on and on. It was a kind of nonsense, the sort that you never remember being taught but always seem to have known. Girls skipped to it. Kids dib-dibbed it to see who was O-U-T out. And then one day a travelling teacher, who like all the others would teach for eggs, fresh vegetables and clean used clothing, found he got more to eat by teaching things that were interesting rather than useful. He talked about how some wizards had once, using very skilful magic, worked out exactly what a human being was made of. It was mostly water but there were iron and brimstone and soot and a pinch of just about everything else, even a tiny amount of gold, but all cooked up together somehow. It made as much sense to Tiffany as anything else did, but she was certain of this. If you took all that stuff and put it in a big bowl, it wouldn't turn into a human no matter how much you shouted at it. You couldn't make a picture by pouring a lot of paint into a bucket. If you were human, you knew that. The wintersmith wasn't. The wintersmith didn't... He didn't know how the song ended, either. The words went around and around her mind as the borrowed broom plunged onward. At one point Dr. Bustle turned up with his reedy, self-satisfied voice and gave her a lecture on the lesser elements, and how, indeed, humans were made up of nearly all of them, but also contained a lot of narrativium, the basic element of stories, which you could detect only by watching the way all the others behaved. You run. You flee. How do you like this, sheep girl? You stole him from me. Is he all that you hoped for? The voice came out of the air right beside her. I don't care who you are, muttered Tiffany, too cold to think straight. Go away. Hours went by. The air down here was a bit warmer, and the snow not so fierce, but the cold still got through no matter how much clothing you wore. Tiffany fought to stay awake. Some witches could sleep on a broomstick but she didn't dare try in case she dreamed she was falling and woke up to find that it was true but soon wouldn't be. But now there were lights below, fitful and yellow. It was probably the inn at Two Shirts, an important navigation point. Witches never stayed at inns if they could help it, because in some areas that could be dangerous, and in any case most of them inconveniently required you to pay them money. But Mrs Umbridge, who ran the souvenir shop opposite the inn, had an old barn around the back, and was what Miss Tick called FTW, or Friendly to Witches. There was even a witch sign scratched on the barn wall where no one who wasn't looking for it would find it. A spoon, a pointy hat, and one big schoolmistressy checkmark. 
A pile of straw had never seemed more wonderful, and inside two minutes Tiffany was inside the straw. At the other end of the little barn, Mrs. Umbridge's pair of cows kept the air warm and smelling of fermented grass. It was a dark sleep. She dreamed of Anagramma, taking off the deluxe mask and revealing her face, and then taking her face off to show Granny Weatherwax's face underneath. And then, was it worth a dance? Sheep girl, you have taken my power and I am weak. The world will become frost. Was it worth a dance? She sat up in the pitch-black barn and thought she saw a writhing glow in the air like a snake. Then she fell back into the darkness and dreamed of the wintersmith's eyes.